As soon as he said, let's go for it, we are live. And Kyle, never say let's go for it, and then dare me to get up and go grab what I forgot. So good morning, everybody. Thank you for being with us today. I am Hub Arkish, and uh, as always, joined by our Shaw Media Group Sports Editor, Kyle Neighbors. And of course, our ShawLocal.com Bears Insider Beat Reporter on the Bears Beat, Sean Hammond. And uh, we're just laughing. We were visiting a little bit before we joined all of you. And as soon as Kyle said, all right, everybody ready? Are we set? Should we go? Let's go. And I got up and walked away. So <laughs> my, my heart stopped there for a second. I'm like, where the hell are you going? Nah, I just realized there was something on the other side of the room. But we should be good if the dogs leave us alone. Let us visit this morning. It's great to have you all with us again uh, this morning. That's, of course, those of you who are with us live on StreamYard. For those listening on a podcast, we remind you at least once a week that we do record. This is a live broadcast. And if you want to join it, it's usually 930 Chicago time every Friday morning. We've gotten pretty good about being regular with that. And you can get to us by going to YouTube or you can go to any one of our Twitter accounts. Mine would be at hub underscore Arkish or Sean at Sean underscore Hammond. Kyle is just at Kyle Neighbors. He got away without the underscore. So go to any of those places if you're around 930 on Friday mornings and want to join us as a live broadcast. And of course, the advantage to that is you can join the broadcast. We take your questions. We want to know what's on your mind. We want to help you out as best we can. So for those of you who are with us this morning, thanks for joining us again. And uh, if you're listening on a podcast, that's great. And make sure that you get it regularly downloaded without having to worry about it. You can do that by going to iTunes or the App Store on your phone or go to shawlocal.com and download a subscription to the podcast. So guys, I am just back about 36 hours now from Palm Beach, Florida, where the NFL's annual meetings were. They're owners meetings, and we call them the owners meetings, but these are actually the annual meetings. This is the big boy. This is where they go for usually scheduled for two and a half to three days. In recent years, they've been wrapping up uh, at the end of the second day and did again this week. Uh, But all 32 teams represented at these meetings by their owners and their general managers and their head coaches. And so it is a uh, veritable uh, live stream of of facts and news and breaking stuff, chance to catch up uh, with people on every team and also had uh, extensive sit-downs this week with Bears general manager Ryan Poles and head coach Matt Eberflus. Got to spend about 20, 25 minutes with the chairman of the board, George McCaskey. Really the first time that we've talked to George since he announced uh, Ryan and Matt as his new GM and head coach, and only the third time that we've been able to visit uh, really in an interview setting and ask questions and and get to find out more about the plan from Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. So, uh, guys, it it was not eventful as as annual meetings go. I, I think people hope for a lot more uh, out of rules changes. They did adjust the overtime rules for playoff games only. You had to know that one was coming. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I'm, I'm fine with what they did. Uh, to me, it was always just about each team getting at least one chance in overtime. After that one chance, if both teams do the same thing and, and you have to keep going, then fine. Then you can be in sudden death. But we've had playoff games ending with one of the teams that earned the tie never getting a chance to touch the football. That has been fixed. It's for the regular season only. Some people were disappointed, wanted oh, more, wanted it in the regular season. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, postseason only. And some people were disappointed, wanted it in the regular season, or wanted more extensive uh, changes. Uh, you know, Sean, I'll ask you first. I don't know what you thought about it. I thought this was all they really needed to do. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with it, and I'm fine with it only being in the postseason. Uh, from the perspective of you know, we don't need regular season games going any longer than they already are. I think I'm fine with that. Um, you know, most of the I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I I know reading up on this topic, like. It's it's much more of an issue. It's a small sample size, but it's much more of an issue in the in the postseason than it is in the regular season. Because in the regular season, you know, you got a lot of teams that aren't necessarily going to go down and score that first possession, and and there's a lot of teams that struggle to do that. Um, so those those games aren't always always coming down to to this issue. And and I'm fine with it being just in the postseason. You know, we these offenses are so good now. We saw it with the with the Bills Chiefs, of course. You know. We don't know if they would have gone down if the Bills would have gone down and scored, but it sure seemed like they they had things rolling there in that second half. 
You know, Kyle, I think the thing about postseason versus regular season is there is real concern about injuries, the amount of time these players are spending on the field. They don't want them exposed any more than they already are. The Players Association weighs in on this. They're already getting ready for the next big fight because they know the 18th game is coming sometime in the next couple of years. Not happy about the 17th game. There were good reasons for considering not extending it to the regular season. And nobody likes a tie, but but I think considering the trade-off, I, I, I'm okay with it. You, you know, I mean, if you can't get this game game sorted out uh you know in regular time and with overtime even be it sudden death uh in the regular season that's one thing it's just in the playoffs it, it was punitive to a team that really was being punished simply for losing a coin flip yeah it certainly needed to be fixed for the postseason i mean i personally would have liked to see it extended to the regular season i i get why they wouldn't do that i think fans in general would like to see them in the regular season just because one it's more entertaining and let's not kid ourselves Gambling has a lot to do with this, whether it's, you know, betting in Vegas or, you know, money on your fancy team. We all want games to extend a little bit longer if we can. Um, so I think when we hear uh, the outcry about that, that has a lot to do with it. Um, now I'm surprised that the NFL doesn't feed into that. You know, they're always looking to build the hype. That's one way to do it, right? Um, you know, there's always that that letdown of a game in, in an overtime or ending quickly in overtime. Um, but you know, I, I do think that you would have some pushback from the, the Players Association. And, and yeah, um, so we'll see how this goes. I, I do expect that at some point it is going to find its way into the regular season, though. Yeah, that, that, these things usually do come in progressions. They don't like to make radical changes. Uh, and that's kind of a segue uh, to what was really the second biggest topic amongst those who were at the meetings attending and waiting to see what was coming. And to me, one of the biggest disappointments I've had in years uh, relative to the taunting rule, which which took steps towards ruining the game last year in many respects. Troy Vincent, the director of football operations, who oversees the meetings with the competition committee and the discussions of these rule changes as they're proposed to the owners, had the audacity to tell us that of the 61 taunting calls last year, only four were inappropriate and that they were concerned as much about the ones that should have been called that weren't as they were about fixing all the ones that should not have been. He even said, as an example, because it was one that many people talked about, that yes, uh, Tyreek Hill should have been called for taunting, for putting up the peace sign as he went for the tying touchdown in that miraculous playoff game with Buffalo. And people in the room just turned around and looked at each other, kind of taken aback. That's the position the league is taking. Now, what they did say is that one of the reasons that they've been lobbied hard by the NCAA that wants them to stick with these rules, that they're worried about sportsmanship, that they want to you know, teach young people well. But guys, I don't know a knowledgeable football fan, an analyst, or many people inside the league who felt that there was a problem prior to putting an emphasis on this rule and who agree that the game should be changed based on penalties being called when players aren't even sure what they're doing wrong. It, it just, it was almost stunning to me, Sean. Really had the balls to take this position, but that's the way it's going to be. Now, what they may do behind the scenes is they may tell the officials to call it a little differently this year because they've got to be embarrassed by some of what happened. But the official league position is that not only is the taunting rule not changing, it could get worse. This whole, I think this whole thing is ridiculous. Uh, I'm, I'm in that same boat. I don't know. They're, they're trying to fix something that wasn't broken. And, you know, you got a camera set up in the end zone so that you can show your guys celebrating, but you're also telling them to, to not celebrate at the same time. It's just mixed messages. I, anybody who has a problem with Tyreek Hill putting up a peace sign as he's running for a, a electric touchdown in a huge playoff game. I, I mean, I don't know why, why that would be an issue for anybody. Um, it's interesting that you say that it's potentially something coming from the NCAA. Is that what you were saying, Hub? Well, no, what, what Vincent said in defending it is he said that one of their concerns is that the NCAA has let them know that they'd really want them, they'd appreciate it if they would stick with their taunting rules because it's what they're trying to teach their athletes coming out of school. Uh, you know, Kyle, it sounded kind of silly to me, but but that was one of the rationales that, that Vincent offered. I, I think at the end of the day, reasonable adults know the difference between taunting and, and players celebrating and, and talking smack. And, 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 and unfortunately this is changing the outcome of games for no reason that, that 
I can understand. Yeah, I mean, it was infuriating to watch at times last year. Um, you, you talk about them maybe act, or at least publicly trying not to walk it back while behind the door or behind the scenes, you know, working to make it less of an issue. I can't remember what penalty it was probably about three or four years ago. If you remember, they went absolutely hog wild with it in the um, in the preseason and then the first couple of weeks of the regular season. And then all of a sudden, those fall, those calls kind of fell off the off a cliff. I can't remember what Wasn't it was. Wasn't it the cute but... quarterback hits or something? Wasn't there a no, game I with think, it? Is that what you're I thinking think of, it, Kyle? I think it was the adjustment in the pass interference rule is, uh, as they were trying to figure it out. Yeah. And then they got a few weeks in and they realized that they weren't handling it right and, and they just kind of backed away from it. And, and, and I think that could be what could happen here is, is that, you know, they don't have to admit to anybody they were wrong. Uh, but behind the scenes, they may be schooling these officials a little bit better, or at least you would hope. And I, I would certainly hope so that they're going to make some adjustments to it. Um, you know, we we talk frequently. I when I say we, I, I guess the general public about the the steps Major League Baseball has taken to make the game less friendly to fans, and this is in that same vein. Um, you know, it's the NFL, so it people are willing to put up with more than they are baseball, but. I mean, it, it, it's definitely something that rankles fans, and I, I just don't see a major upside to the NFL finding a way to poke people in the eye when they don't need to. Yeah, normally they go into these meetings, guys, and, and we did. We got a list of a number of proposals that were being considered, and they usually come out with at least four, five, six things, but, but that was really it. The only other rule change I expect will eventually become to call the Ian Cunningham rule in that they now have given NFL teams permission to deny uh, or given the NFL teams the right to deny permission to other teams to talk to second-level front office management people until after the draft in the beginning of a new league year. Uh, the Bears were able to go and get Ian Cunningham away from the Philadelphia Eagles, their director of player personnel, with a title of, of assistant general manager. And, and you know, I mean, the Bears are certainly happy about it, and, and I'm sure Ian Cunningham is happy about it. Uh, whether the Eagles complain behind the scenes or other teams are worried about it, uh, it you can't understand it, guys. The, the reason new GMs don't come in and first off redo their scouting department, which you would think would be the most important uh, part of their employee org chart or whatever, is because the work is like 70% done for the coming free agency and draft seasons, and you can't expect teams to start over that far behind. And those contracts generally run from May 1st to, or June 1st to May 30, something like that. The Bears were able, nonetheless, to get Ian Cunningham to come over right away. And that will not be happening again unless teams give permission for it. It's not a big deal but it was the only other rule change that, that really was made, Sean. Yeah. And I don't, this is an interesting one. Uh, Hub, what, what sort of impact do you imagine this is going to have on, on hiring processes uh, in the future? Uh, not much. I wouldn't okay. think because it doesn't happen all that often. I mean, I, I was surprised that the bears were able to make that work. I, I know that, you know, four GM changes in one off season is, is actually uh, a fair number. And, and so, you know, maybe there were a few other hires like this. There, there's none that jump out to me. Um, I think this was one that, that the owners were more concerned about because of the possibility that it put them at a competitive disadvantage. They're willing to lose a game here and they're on a bogus taunting call, uh, but they don't want a year-round be, uh, you know, short-staffed in, in, a, in a talent acquisition season, if you will, calendar year, uh, because they got stuck in the middle and had to start over. So, um, you know, Kyle, I, I, it, other cities, they may not even be talking about it. I think the fact that it was the Bears getting Cunningham that was the obvious impetus for this is probably why it's a little more relevant here. Yeah, um, you know, it's not something that comes up a ton, but teams definitely are clearly want to protect against something like that happening uh, or becoming more of a regular occurrence. I'm looking through here. Uh, I was trying to find something. Uh uh, Timothy Wire, there's a difference between taunting and celebrating. Uh, definitely, but I think that's where the league, the league has yet to f kind of figure out where that line is. Um, uh, you know, and a lot of that comes to what what fans are willing to, you know, I, I think there's a visceral reaction, right? Like we know most people know when it's taunting, I guess, but like there's no really clear line. And these well, referees are having to to make these decisions really 
quickly too. Yeah. And, and Tim, what's interesting about your point, because yeah, there's an obvious difference, but if you think about it until last year, 70, 80% of the taunting calls were coming in the end zone. You know, that that's where they decided this was a problem, where, where teams were overdoing it, uh, where they were telling that you rarely saw taunting on the field. And yet now it's legal in the end zone, but they're calling it on the field. So it's just, it's a different kind of calls um, that, that they're making. I, I mean, I, I keep getting stuck on this one because it was so stunning. I, I, every, I, I don't know a knowledgeable football person uh, or at least let me rephrase that. I haven't talked to a knowledgeable football person since the Bears-Steelers game who didn't agree that it was 90 95% likely that the Bears win that game if not for that call on Cassius Marsh. And if you look at what he was doing, I don't know how you call that taunting. I mean, he 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 posed for maybe two or three seconds looking at the Steelers' sideline. I mean, he could have been looking for an old friend for all we know. He obviously wasn't. He was obviously saying, you know, that's what you get for cutting me. He wasn't taunting him. You know, he, he was. That was his celebration. It was a quiet celebration. And I think I know, you know, from talking to him afterwards, he had the taunting rule in mind as he was doing it and thought he was being careful not to violate. So, um, you know, Sean, I, I think that's the issue. Tim's right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing I just said. Reasonable adults know the difference, um, but it's like the league is, is insisting that the that the officials go over the line and call things that, that obviously, you know, or at least seem obviously shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, if, if we just have a clear understanding of, of what is and isn't taunting, I think that would – clear clear a lot of things up not that that's an easy thing to do because like we said there's there's a fine line but it'd be it'd be nice you know the players need to know when they're crossing the line or they should at least in a perfect world we got a question from winston uh in here maybe uh, maybe should be able to challenge taunting call which i don't think they would do that because that's just slowing the game down even more and it's it's such a gray area but i guess uh my thought there was hub like why doesn't New York take a little more? And if you know, if they want to police this, take more of an active role in it. Like, isn't there a way? Shouldn't they? You know, we have the sky jet or whatever to to be able to intervene in these situations to be like, yeah, that's taunting, or no, toss that flag or pick that flag up. Well, I, I, therein lies the Winston. It's it's a good idea, but here's the problem: um, uh, it wouldn't really impact the the length or timing of the game if it was just one of the coach's normal challenges. In other words, you don't add extra challenges for taunting but but if a coach wants to challenge it you know you'd like to see him do that but then who do you go to you got to have the morality police somewhere i I mean you know you're you're, now you're going back to the the guy who threw the flag and saying okay look at again and rethink it i mean how many times are they going to say i was wrong you know so um it's just it's a bad rule is what it is and 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 it actually it, it could be fixed fairly easily and again i certainly hope uh this is you know what is going to happen is by leave it in place so you you know you look like you're doing the the correct idealistic moralistic things but now train your officials this off season come on guys use your heads uh, you know i mean make sure that it's taunting when it isn't guys i i don't know about you sean or kyle but I, i've talked to players about this I have yet to find a player who thinks there's ever been a correct taunting call because to them, they'll tell you they're just talking smack. It's what these guys do. Nobody gets their feelings hurt by it. You know, it's not like players are being offended or coaching staffs. I mean, you know, it's kind of the, the, the machismo of the game, if you will. And, and trying to legislate it just, just seems to me like a, a, you know, an effort that's guaranteed to fail. I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but, um, you know, maybe let them challenge it. Winston, it's not a horrible idea. I just don't think you're going to see that help much if they're still making these bogus calls. What do we, uh, what else we got in the uh, queue here, Kyle? Um, we got, uh, we got our guy Don Burr from Detroit checking in. Um, All right. Welcome, Don. Well, he wants us to talk about, or can you, can we talk about Penny Sewell? Uh, looking like a damn ten-year-old, uh, ten-year pro bowler working out on social media. Um, Everybody I mean, looks good working out on social media. Well, I mean, uh, he looks like he's going to be very good. But uh, uh, Don also talked about Jeff Akuda looking like a damn stud earlier, and Jeff Akuda has played about six total games in two years. So, <laughs> well, yeah. L- listen, I get you're a fan, buddy, but but I mean, no, we can't talk about it because it's not possible. You don't look like a pro bowler in the workout room. 
you know, it might look like a workout warrior, you, you know, but 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 that's not where it happens. I think, you know, guys coming out of school last year, Penny Sewell, I, I thought could have maybe should have been the first overall pick. I mean, he was that great a prospect, and I think he has a chance to be that good a player. But there, at least for me, Sean, is nothing he can do in the workout room that's going to get a Pro Bowl vote. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you got to do it on the football field. It's good to know that he's taking it seriously and getting ready for a second year in the league. But that's about as far as it goes, Don, at least where I sit. We uh, we spent a good time last year during the, the pre-draft process debating if we would take Sewell or Jamar Chase. Um, I can't remember I, I, which one went first. I can't remember. It was four and five. If I Chase, Chase went there. first. Chase went first, hey. and then uh, which if I yeah, because at the time I was like I I thought it was. We a were bad thinking tip. that was the Bengals' decision between those yeah. two. Yeah, because well, I, well, I felt the need that the Bengals really needed to get better at on the offensive line. Now it ended up working out for both teams, though. What's interesting, though, guys, if, if you go back to our draft board, I, and I I'm doing this from memory, but I'm pretty sure. That I had Chase a spot or two ahead of Sewell, but in the Bengals situation, I would have taken Sewell. And, and you know, I, I guess I would have been wrong because without Jamar Chase, they certainly don't get to a Super Bowl. Um, but they've now invested the entire offseason reworking the offensive line that might not have been as necessary if they had Sewell. So that, that's one that we got to wait another year or two on. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it was it was a fascinating debate because of the team that jumped up and took Chase. Chase went five, and Sewell went seven. I'm pretty sure is the way that happened. Um, before, you know, it'll continue to be an interesting debate as we follow their careers. Before we get into some free agency stuff, and hear people asking about uh, remaining guys, I see CJ has a question about Cody. We want to want to ask your uh, um, your opinion, Hub, if you've paid any closer attention on Jeff Akuda was obviously a really high draft pick for Detroit two years ago. And as I said, I looked it up, played six games as rookie year, only one game last year. I mean, it's been injuries, but are, are, see, see a bust? I mean, I know it's only been two years, but seven games in two years is, is not encouraging. No, I, to me, this is what I call the Kevin White syndrome. I, I mean, at this stage of his career, White is a bust, but we'll never know if it's because he was coming out of West Virginia or because of the injuries. Uh, Akuda, you know, it's still early. Uh, there were concerns like this with Malik Hooker, who couldn't stay healthy, but now has been healthy for a year or two and is playing some pretty good football. Um, Akuda, like as you say, it's been injuries, and, and he didn't come out with with the medical or red flags from Ohio State. Uh you know, you worry that it's, you could also call it Will Fuller syndrome, but Will Fuller, in addition to the injuries, has got some attitude and, and, and character issues. I have not heard that about Okuda at all. Uh, so I think this is it. This is kind of make it or break it year three for a top 10 pick, particularly at that position. But uh, I would be very leery about calling him a bust because when healthy, certainly at Ohio State, he looked like he was worthy of that draft pick. And, and, and I'm sure that the Lions are hoping that this is the year they can keep him on the field. Yeah, I liked him coming out of Ohio State. Um, you know, was their secondary has been bad for several years now. And if I re- recall correctly, that was coming right on the heels of the Darius Slay trade to Philly. Um, and uh, – I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I I never have any idea what Detroit's long-term goals are. Uh, that one didn't make a lot of sense for me at the time. I liked Takuda. I just thought it was kind of a ass-backwards pick for Detroit. Well, the Darius Slay trade never made sense because you need three or four really good quarterbacks. You need three starters, and they've had one. For years now and with slay he was the one if they had had a great starter across from him i might have said okay go ahead and do it so they drafted akuda and then they ended up with two open cornerback spots and they're and they're still trying to get better there but um uh, again uh, you know the, the kids looks to be a good football player and he's one of those guys that you just wish could stay healthy all right hub i'm going to toss these questions to you uh go back up to the top with free agency stuff here you go hub start with gary all right, Gary Ross wants to know if we think the Bears should sign Trey Turner to a one-year deal. Played decent with the Steelers last year and is familiar with Chris Morgan. Uh, be a stopgap who wouldn't be the worst to start at right guard. Uh, you, you know, Gary, the Bears have got to do some work on the offensive line, and I do think it has to be with veterans because, or a veteran or two. Right now, you've got these two second-year tackles. Tevin Jenkins is, is kind of half-rookie, uh, half-second-year tackle, having missed most of last year. You do not have a backup behind them. Lachavius Simmons would be next in line. 
uh, and there's no indication that he's ready to, to play, you know, 30 minutes, let alone 60 minutes in an NFL game. You have an opening at right guard. There is talk about plugging Larry Borum in there. And if that's his best position, that's great. But then you don't have another starting tackle. And so, you know, whether it's a Trey Turner, whether it's a, an Eric Fisher or a Riley Reef, and I'm, I'm not a Riley Reef fan. People get excited when I say that. Uh, I'm not a, a, a hater either. I just don't know that he's an answer. Um, uh, you know, I, is Brian Balaga still out there? I, I think, you know, he Brian may Balaga. be, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you need to bring in, uh, a veteran or two on that offensive line. Now, whether it's Trey Turner or not, Sean, I, I you know, he, he, he was at the height of his powers in Carolina. He was an all pro a year and a pro bowler for a few years, but, uh, didn't play all that well after he went out West and wasn't horrible with the Steelers, but hasn't been the player that he was, uh, you know, when he was going to pro bowls. So, um, I, I think it would be a worthwhile, uh, move depending on how you feel about where you're at at the tackle position. That that's really the key because I don't know that they're going to bring in two thirty somethings on that offensive line. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that move. I mean, I think I, I'm in the same boat as you. I think they need to get uh, somebody with a little bit of experience in there. Um, you know, everything that they've they've shown, everything that we saw through through the Bates stuff with Ryan Bates and and. Um, what they've been trying to do on an offensive line to really at every position too, is, is that they're, they're going to wait out and they seem to be waiting to get guys in, in a certain price range that they like. And um, you know, I think it's sort of a waiting game at this point. I don't know if, if I don't know what a guy like Trey Turner would command, but um, certainly he could fill the need. I don't know if that's exactly what they're looking for uh, in terms of price. Yeah, Kyle, I, I think my real concern is that the Pittsburgh Steelers, the first half of the season, had one of the worst offensive lines in football with Trey Turner brought in there to fix that. Now, a year later, they're apparently not in a hurry or even willing to bring him back. And so you do wonder how much is left in the tank. Uh, but beyond that, you look inside, you got plenty of, of, of experience and leadership with Cody Whitehair and, and Lucas Patrick at left guard and center. You can afford to, to develop or at least have a growing prospect at, at right guard if, in fact, that's going to be Borum or somebody else. But you do not have any kind of veteran presence at those tackle positions. And if you want Justin Fields to get better, um, you're going to have to deal with those edge rushers. And, and right now, I don't know how you can have any great confidence that you can do that. You can't, uh, you know, you look at it right now. I mean, you kind of already went through it with, if you kick Larry Borum inside, then you, yeah, you still need another tackle. You have no idea what Tevin Jenkins is yet. Um, you might need two tackles. Uh, they're going to have to bring a veteran in. I, I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, Dwayne Brown still out there. I, did you mention Eric Fisher? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to go at least middle-aged. Derek oh. Fisher is 31. I think Trey Turner is 31 or 32. Dwayne Brown is 37 years old. Yeah. I just assume I'd rather bring back Jason Peters. And not that Dwayne Brown isn't, hasn't been a very good football player, but we saw what Jason Peters did with no training camp, uh, you know, pushing 40. And I don't think that we see any reason that he might not be able to do it again. Now, he does not fit the description of the offensive lineman um, that, that Ryan Poles is trying to add, but Dwayne Brown doesn't necessarily either. Eric Fisher is closer, although it wasn't good enough in Kansas City when they jettisoned him. So, um, you know, this, this is why, you know, if there was one, you know, cornerstone building move that I would have made, even if you didn't want to spend, it would have been going as big as I had to for Teron Armstead. He did not get an unreasonable deal from the Dolphins if he can stay healthy. I think that probably was the red flag there. You had a guy who in, in what, uh, I think six seasons had played 16 games once. And, and so, and it only played more than 12 once. So, um, you know, that's why they didn't. Uh, and, and if the guy's out there, he could very well be waiting until June 2nd on this too, because again, you know, I don't know if we've done a good enough job describing what they mean by that second and third wave of free agency. The second wave is about price point and cap considerations and letting the dust clear and getting some of the big ones out of the way. 
Um, but the third wave is a combination of that and knowing that there are going to be at least a dozen, couple dozen more cap casualties with good football players come June 2 because teams are only allowed to designate two players for that post-June 1 cut right now. But once you get to June 1, you can cut whoever you want and get the same advantage. So I think there's a chance that they're waiting till June. The other advantage they'd have there is they would have had the voluntary mini camp, the OTAs, and the uh, um, – uh, the uh, rookie mini camp, and so they'd at least have a better idea of what they have. I, the, the thing, this was a big topic actually down in Florida and visiting with, with Matt and Ryan. They haven't met most of their guys yet. You know, I mean, they, they only kept 33 or 34 so far from the, maybe it's 35 now with reshining uh, uh, DHC, but but um, of the guys that remain from, from the pace Nagy regime, they literally haven't met most of them in person. And, and so I think they're, they're really seriously, you know, being careful with the self-scouting, self-evaluation, if you will, uh, before they decide who else they're going to bring in and what they're going to add. I'm going to throw this up from CJ who, you know, this fits right in there. He's asking about Cody Whitehair. Cody Whitehair, was he really bad last year? Chances he gets cut or restructured extended hub. Well, A, no, he wasn't really bad last year. I don't know that he had his best year, but I don't, you know, I remember people were so busy beating up Sam Mustafer and, and, and the guys who were playing uh, to right tackle that, that, you know, Whitehair, he had a penalty here and there and he missed a block here and there, you know, that that's going to happen. But no, he wasn't really bad. Um, restructured is always a possibility. I think he's already been restructured once since they did that deal, but I mean, based on the conversation we just had, how can you cut Cody Whitehair? You know, you're going to make the problem worse. So um, the reality, guys, is uh, we don't know what Ryan Poles, <coughs> excuse me, and Ian Cunningham are thinking right now. Um, we're still getting to know their thought process. <coughs> but it's just not logical to think that, that Cody Whitehair would go because then you're you're begging for Justin Fields to spend another year running for his life, Sean. Yeah, and, you know, he is the – it seems weird to say this about a guy who's, what, 29 years old, but he's he's the veteran leader of that group at this point too. And is he the longest um, tenured player on the roster? No, um, I don't believe so. I think Patrick Scales was well, – Well, I think, I think Houston Carson would predate him now that he's back. Um, okay. Uh, but, he, yeah, he's uh, Cody's close. He he's was he's up there, he, definitely. He was the um, 17 draft, I believe. Wasn't he in the Trubisky draft? Uh, yeah, because they didn't give away a two. They gave away threes and fours. I think he was in the 17 draft, and I think DeAndre Houston Carson was already here, at least. I don't know if he's the only one who was already here. Let's see. He was 2016. He was 2016. Cody Whitehair? Yeah. Yeah. Second round, uh, 2016. He's not going anywhere. And, 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 you know, he's the, sorry, not, not to cut you off, Kyle. You know, when Lucas Patrick, shows up, you know, Cody Whitehair is the first guy to call him like 30 minutes later. I, I just don't see that. And with the contract, I don't see that happening. And you're just going to create another hole. Well, and he also, Kyle, before it just, he, he is a perfect, he fits what Ryan Poles wants. I mean, that that's, he, he, he is, you know, if they want to put the model out, this is what I'm looking for. He's looking for five Cody Whitehairs. Yeah. Well, all I was going to say, you're not desperate for the money either. Uh, there's no. really no reason to cut him. So I, I think there's a better chance you see him, a much higher chance you would see him extended before you would see him cut. Maybe, maybe if they had gone on a spending spree this month, yeah. but but that hasn't happened. There's no there's no need to to create that space. I don't think there's a need to do anything. He's got at least two years left on that deal, doesn't he? Uh, you know, maybe even three. Yeah, he's got. Uh, he is through twenty four. There's a void year on the yeah. end in in twenty five, mm-hmm. but so. Uh, yeah, three, so three, three more, more years. years. Yeah, it, it's it's not a it's not an onerous contract for a quality starting guard. So, you know, they might play with it to restructure if they eventually need cap space. But right now, there's just no reason to do anything. Uh, Follow up or another question from Gary Ross here for you, Hub. Uh, with the money saved on Bates, who do the Bears spend it on? A uh, corner like Xavier Rhodes or someone like Landry. Um, I thought I saw Rhodes resigned when I was down in Florida. I could be wrong about that. Um, but they just spent it on, on Dane Cruikshank. I mean, they're, they're not doing this by position, you know. And, 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 and even more to the point, they didn't need to save the money on Bates. I mean, you know, right now 
they're they're sitting on you know roughly 30 million in cap space and they're just building up what they're going to roll over to next year uh you, you know at this point when you're playing with the bottom of the roster you're not adjusting the cap all that much they had to go for the higher 2.4 million dollar tender on ryan bates um they didn't have to but they did um and and so that's what he would have counted against the cap uh so in spending a million on or guaranteeing a million i should say on crookshank i don't know what the cap hit is on that though so um it, it's not about trading dollars guys you're, you're you're living in the last couple of years with ryan pace where uh they were pushing the cap they've got plenty of cap space now so it's not really an issue uh in who they sign it's a question of which pl- what they're looking for is Akeem Hicks, you know, Mario Edwards Jr. type players, players who they don't just bring in for a year to fill a spot in free agency, but younger veterans they think have not played to their potential yet. Uh, they believe that they have that in, you know, Al-Qasim Muhammad. They believe they have it in Nicholas Morrow. Uh, they think they have it in Justin Jones. They hope they have it in Byron Pringle. Um, you know, we haven't heard what they think of Cruikshank yet, but he could be another guy. That they, these are guys that they may see as as significant contributors, if not starters, once this team is competitive again. They're not just looking to fill roster spots right now. They can do that with rookies and priority free agents. Yeah, that's that's absolutely you know what we've seen from them. I mean, this is these are guys who you you hope that their ceiling is high and that they reach that uh and it's really not going to hurt you in the long run if if they don't because you're not investing huge dollars in in some of these guys and uh you're right hub we've seen that there's what five six seven examples of that this spring you know guys muhammad's the best example because you've got the nfc's leading pass rusher you know robert quinn led the nfc in sacks last year with 18 and a half uh al-qasim muhammad had seven with the colts who had some pass rush issues. It was by committee. They, they didn't have a force on the other side like Quinn that had to be dealt with. And so um, now, you know, you probably can't count on Robert Quinn to have 15, 18 sacks for too many more years. But at least as you head into what this roster looks like right now, while Quinn is still doing it, um, I think they see Muhammad as a nice potential, you know, probably not ever going to be their double digit sack guy, but a guy who could be on that left side for a while if they have a double digit guy on the other side. Sean, was that for you? Sorry. I decided. Oh, I, it I, doesn't I, matter. <laughs> go ahead, Sean. I, I was looking up, I was trying to figure out about Xavier Rhodes. So he, I, uh, I don't believe he signed. No, I think it was Patrick Peterson that signed. I yeah, think Patrick Peterson went back to Minnesota. <clears throat> and uh, I, I could be wrong, guys. There was so much going on down in Florida for some reason. I know there was conversation about Rhodes, but apparently he did not sign yet. He, he would and, seem and like he would be a guy. You know, they've they've brought in a couple guys with with and and half the coaching staff from from Indianapolis. He would seem like a guy who could who could fit that mold and and come in and and know what he's doing right away. Well, here, uh, Hub, I want to pose this question for you. Um, so Xavier Rhodes certainly is a guy that that knows uh, Matt Eberflus's system, uh, having been down in Indianapolis. When you're talking about players in the secondary, how much does scheme matter in terms of where they land? And what, like, if they're a free agent, for instance, like an uh, Xavier Rhodes, like, do they have a limited pool, or are those guys pretty flexible in, in the system they're able to play? Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's a it's it's a there's a lot of one on one in that position even when you're playing zone, and so I think the the only real scheme consideration is <clears throat> there are better you know we talk about lockdown cover corners or cover corners uh, some cornerbacks are better in man and better in press than they are in zone and so you look at your system and say do we play you know more zone or do we play more man if we play more man then we need a better cover guy. Uh, whereas if we're not playing as much, man, we don't have to worry about a lockdown cover corner. We need guys who understand the system and, and, and are, you know, assignment, uh, safe and, and, and you can trust to, to be where they're supposed to be in their zone on the field. But as far as, um, is there a difference between a three, four and a four, three quarterback? Not really there. There isn't safeties, but, but not really on the corner. We got a question from Eric that kind of builds on that for you here, hub. Do we need to have top-notch cover corners playing in this cover two base defense also isn't super important to have a shore tackling strong safety because uh, Eddie Jackson's tackling woes. Uh, the Tampa two 
is a, is a scheme that, that does require more of a delineation between a free safety and a strong safety. You do need one of each to play it really well. Uh, you want all your safeties to be good cover guys, uh, you know, but uh, at least one of your safeties has to be more of a hitter, more of a run stuffer, a guy that you can bring up in the box. Um, uh, you know, as far as the corners, the, the Tampa two defense is all based on pressure. You saw it with Lovey. You, you know, it's just being disruptive in the backfield. It's why the three technique and the right end and the will linebacker are also important. And uh, if you're getting great pressure up front, uh, you don't have to cover as long. And so, um, you know, cornerback is a crucial position in every defense. But in this Tampa two four three base scheme, uh, you're really more focused on that will and that three technique, and then your right end as well as your cornerback, Sean. Yeah, I mean, what? How do you, Hub? What are your thoughts on Crookshank? I mean, is this a guy who could fill a starting spot at that safety position? Well, he never could in Tennessee. Uh, you know, he ended up starting four games at the end of this year, but I think that was as much of injury due to injury, I should say. I, I imagine else. so. Yeah. Um, and so you always worry about a guy, you know, who has played a lot in, 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 uh, sub packages, um, and in special teams have been a very good special teamer. Now that, that is interesting though. Something that, that Eberflus, uh, said to me, uh, we were talking, uh, Tuesday morning and, um, I asked him about the Sam linebacker position and he said, it's a good question because we don't necessarily have one right now, but in our scheme, the Sam is only on the field about 15 to 20 percent of the time because of all the sub packages that we're in and nickel and dime. Um, and so, you know, you need depth as much as lockdown cover corner skills. You, you need that slot to be as good as your two starting corners. And depending on who the dime back is going to be, you know, now the dime could be Crookshank because he allegedly is very good defending tight ends. And, 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 and there was much made about the playoff game where he was given the assignment to shadow Travis Kelsey uh, and shut him down. I don't know if it was a playoff game or regular season game, but, but uh, uh, that's the tape that they're saying that we should look closely at. So uh, I think they see Crookshank as being a, a contributor. I don't know if they penciled him in right now as the starter next to Jackson or not. Um, but, uh, you know, if you've got good athletic corners who understand their assignments, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to worry about them as much as you got to have somebody special at the will and at the three technique, Kyle. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's multiple spots on this defense that they still need to figure out here. Um, you know, they need to get better talent at pretty much you know, definitely the second level and the third level into the secondary. Um, I was trying to figure out here. I don't know if either of you guys seen it. And this was more curiosity than potential fit for the Bears. Um, just looking through uh, remaining free agents, though, it, it, are Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan still out on the street? I know Bryce Callahan was, and and I don't, I don't know if Kyle is. Um, I can't find anything on him, so I I, I haven't so. seen anything. Not, um, not not saying they're a great fit for the Bears. I mean, I'm yeah. just wondering at this point, uh, just because I find that interesting. Well, I mean, you know, Kyle Fuller is a former first-team All-Pro corner, and I, I want to say he's 30 years old now, 29 or 30, um, and so actually probably a better fit than Xavier Rhodes. Um, uh, I know that his teammates liked him a lot, you know, when he was here. Uh, he was a leader on the team. Uh, obviously it's, it's the Fangio, you know, naggy pace regime. Um, but if he was available, yeah, there's no reason he wouldn't be as good a fit as any other veteran corner out there. And I don't think he would be that expensive uh, at this point. Dr. Earl has a question for you, Hub. Uh, since this appears to be a throwaway year, do you think it's best to start last year's rookies at tackle just to see what you have and or need at those positions? You know, Doc, I, I listen, <laughs> Yeah, you got to find out. But the most critical issue facing the Chicago Bears this year isn't just getting a better handle on what you have in Justin Fields. It's him taking a huge step forward if you're going to be able to get to a competitive point before that rookie contract is up. And it's, it's, a, it's a significant part of building a roster and strategizing in the NFL today. And if you've got tackles learning on the job, I don't know how comfortable, you know, Justin Fields can get back there running the offense. So it, it, it's, it's a, you got to work down both tracks at the same time. 
I, I think you do want to learn about the tackles, but that's not quite as important as learning about fields. And you got to do everything you can to put him in the best situation to succeed, Sean. Yeah, everything should be looked through that lens of of maximizing Justin Fields. You know, I, I, at least that's the way I would be looking at this. I, that's that's what I believe. I don't. You know, we we're not in Ryan Pohl's head. We we don't know exactly what their what approach they're taking. But if it's me, I, I'm trying to get a veteran to to fill one of those tackle spots. I mean. We saw towards the end of the year, you know, when Tevin Jenkins stepped in there and you had the two the two rookies doing it, you know, there there were some moments where where Justin Fields had to run for his life. And, and you got to keep the guy healthy, too, because if 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 you don't, then it's not going to matter when his rookie contract runs out, because if he's if he can't get on the field or can't stay on the field, then you're going to have bigger issues. And Kyle, this is a topic that, that Ryan did speak specifically to when we visited with him on Monday. And he said that he is acutely aware of getting Justin Fields everything that he needs to be successful and wants to do as much as he can. Uh, but the way he put it was he said, but I can't force it. He, he said, we can't go out and sign guys who may not do more to help him, but do uh, interfere with the other things we're doing as we try and build the foundation of this roster. And so uh, he says that that he is acutely aware of the need to get Justin Fields all the weapons and all the protection that he needs. Uh, but he's, he's, he's asking people to be patient as he does it because he says that he is, you know, again, trying to move down parallel tracks here, both building the roster and getting Fields what he needs for them to learn about him. That is a perilous path to try and navigate when you're trying to 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 split the uprights like that. And and Jimmy K had asked, why are so many people against this idea of tanking? It's clear to me we don't have any shot of playoff this season. What is wrong with better draft position for next draft in 2023? And like I I completely understand that thinking. We've talked about it quite a bit over the last month or so on here, and I don't want to completely rehash it. But again, I you know when when I look at tanking or like this idea is that's a much better idea or a much more palatable idea when you don't already have what you should believe is the quarterback of your future on your roster. You need to maximize what you can out of Justin Fields now, because let's say you put, they go into um, the season with not much more talent on this roster than they are currently. And Justin Field performed really poorly. Well, then you all of a sudden have questions about the future of, of your franchise at quarterback again. And I don't think Ryan Poles wants to be in that position uh, after one year on the job. Yeah, Jimmy, I got a two-part answer for you. The first part is find me an example of an NFL team that tanked with its franchise, young franchise quarterback already in place. You can't do that because you, 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 A, you don't know if you have your franchise quarterback and B, you may be making him worse, which leads to part two. There is a perception, even amongst the doubters and the haters, that Justin Fields, David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, uh, maybe Tevin Jenkins and or Larry Borum, uh, you know, on the defensive side, certainly Roquan Smith, uh, uh, Jalen Johnson, uh, you know, probably Eddie Jackson, um, uh, you know, possibly a couple of these kids that they just brought in. There is the belief that these are guys that can be part of a, of a good competitive team. How do they get better and improve and get to that level while you're tanking? And so, you know, the only time that I can think, I, I've never heard of a team tanking for anything but the quarterback. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, have we ever heard of talk about, hey, let's tank so we can draft Jadavian Clowney or Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase? No, you know, nobody ever talks about that. And so it, it just it goes against every, you know, historic vision of the successful roster building we've seen, Sean, that with fields here, the last thing you want to do is tank, I would think. Yeah, you already have your quarterback. You're not tanking for a, a Trevor Lawrence or, a, a, you know, a, a surefire number one quarterback pick and and that's that's really what you know you think of when you think of taking in the nfl they're gonna have a good i mean i i shouldn't say they're gonna have a good draft pick but the way this is shaping up i mean i don't expect them to to you know i don't know what i would be expecting next season as far as wins and and if you're in the top 10 of the draft you're gonna be able to get a good player 
You know, guys, the only three positions I can think of that there's even a perception that you need a top one, two, or three pick to get one are quarterback, uh, left tackle, and edge rusher. You know, I mean, those are guys, when you think about it every year as we look at these lists and we look at the top five and the top ten, and, yeah, you'll see, you know, cornerbacks, wide receivers, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but but really, this whole tanking conversation, it's all about quarterbacks, Fies, and, and unless you want to move Justin Fields and try it again, and you certainly don't want to do that in this draft, uh, there's just there's no need to do that. Jimmy followed up here. Didn't Jaguars and Jets tank last season? Jacksonville definitely not like they tried to bring in reinforcement. I mean, they franchised Cam Robinson. They brought Marvin Jones in. They drafted Travis Etienne, even though they had James Robinson. And you know, like they brought in players to try and surround Trevor or uh, Trevor Lawrence. Let's. Uh, that was just a dumpster fire. Uh, you know, when it came to the coaching staff, I don't think they were purposely trying to lose uh, at all. The New York Jets. Well. I don't really know. They're a bad franchise. and <laughs> Nobody knows you know, what they're the, doing. The New York Jets have been tanking for 20 years, so they're probably not the model you want to follow anyway. Yeah, Jimmy, I think the answer is I understand your point, but the answer is no. They didn't tank last year. The answer is the year after tanking usually looks as bad as the tank year because you just got done tanking and you can't rebuild a roster in one year. You know, but but they immediately they put Lawrence and Zach Wilson on the field. They wanted them to learn through experience and hard knocks, if you will. They also did as much with the other picks that they had besides Wilson and Lawrence to build around them. The Jets made a big commitment to their offensive line, even though it still needs to get better. And as Kyle pointed out, the Jaguars made some other significant moves. So that's just the year after tanking is still going to look bad because you just got done tanking. You got a crappy roster, but now maybe you've got your quarterback. So once you've tanked and gotten that quarterback, everything from that point on, is doing what you can to add as many resources as possible to develop that player. And that is through some combination of, of the draft and free agency. And, uh, you know, you could be a team like the Rams that says, you know, screw the draft choices, let's just go get veterans. Or you could be like most other teams that don't want to invest too heavily in free agency. They want to keep drafting high because, you know, that way their cap stays a little bit lower and they're not in cap trouble when it comes time to re-sign these guys. Yeah, Eric came uh, talking about Philly tanking at the last couple of games with Jalen Hurt that cost Peterson his job. Um, but I, I, I throw that up there because I was thinking about this actually the other day. Like, let's say the Bears are terrible this year. They The Bears tank like some people want. All right, there's one year of Matt Eberflus, you know, winning two or three games. What are the real realistic expectations in 2023, right? You win six or seven games. So then you go into the third year. Let's say they don't make the playoffs. Let's say they only win eight or nine games. Well, then, you know, how many NFL coaches are able to go through a, a cycle where they miss the playoffs three years in a row? Like, you're when you, particularly when you already have that young quarterback in place too, right? Like, all you're doing there to me is you're really – you're shortening or you're narrowing that window or your, your chance to succeed um, when you do that, when you already have the quarterback in place. Yeah, most guys, most you, regimes don't have the time to tank is what you're saying, Kyle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but, but here's the real problem with tanking. Okay. Why do the Patriots never have to tank? Why do the Packers never have to tank? Why do the Rams never have to tank? I mean, I can rattle off the, 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 the Baltimore Ravens never have to tank. The goal is to build an organization that doesn't have to, not to do it for no reason, just because you want higher draft picks. Again, uh, to me, there's never any justification for it. I, I think it's offensive to fans who are paying, you know, 125, $150, $200 a ticket that, that they're doing that so they can go watch a team trying to be bad. Uh, you know, I, I think there's all kinds of other negative connotations that come with it. You, you know, I mean, you know, people want Steve Ross's team taken away from him because he allegedly, you know, uh, asked Brian Flores to tank games and people are up in arms. He, he should have his team taken away. He should be suspended for life, you know, this and that. And, and yet the same people turn around and say, well, but if you're the Bears and you want to get better or if you're the Jets, you want to get better, you should tank. No, tanking is, is, is not a recipe for success at the end of the day. Potsy chime in here in the chat again this week. Jets have six playoff wins in the last 20 years. Bears have three. Mark, I, I wasn't suggesting that the Bears are any more competent than the Jets. I think at this point, they're just, they're right there with them. No, Potsy is half right. Those wins came in, I think, 10, 11, and 12 or something like that. So it's been a while. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, guys, at the end of the day, 
I mean, we can stay on this subject, but but I, I, I can't imagine who'd be happy with tanking, you know, I mean, or who thinks it's a good idea, particularly if you believe that Justin Fields can be your, your, your you know, playoff winning quarterback, if not your franchise quarterback. And Stephen Marshall had come in here uh, with, but it sounds like you want polls to build a roster in one year. And I, uh, so I've seen this in the comments a lot the last couple of weeks after we've gone off the air with people saying, well, yeah, like these guys expect them to turn around. Like, and no, I. No matter what the Bears do this off season, I expected them to be bad or at least at best mediocre. I don't think they needed to go hog wild, but I do think there are certain foundational pieces that you need to put in place. Maybe not foundational pieces. There are certain pieces you need to put in place to ensure that those young guys are able to thrive this year. So in twenty twenty three, you are ready to go. Yeah, right, they, I mean, go ahead. go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say they have all this cap space. Uh, for 2023, but you can't you can't expect to to like the comment says you can't expect to do that all in one year. You know you you got to pick up uh, you know some of these these cornerstone pieces every year if you're going to build a team that has a lot of those guys. Yeah, it it never occurred to me that they could do it in one year. Nor is that what I've legislated for. I I think my position has been. Justin Fields needs a number one receiver. Those guys were available in free agency. One of them was your own guy, if you could have worked it out and kept Allen Robinson. But short of that, you got to get him a number one receiver and you got to get him a three and a four. Okay. Because at this point, Darnell Mooney is a two. And I think that they had to do something besides just rely on the draft and Byron Pringle to fix the wide receiver position. I was upset with the Cleo Mack trade because having him here, if healthy, and there's no reason to believe he won't be, with Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith and Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson, that right there was enough of a nucleus for a defense to be a top 10 defense. And one of the best ways to develop Justin Fields is to keep pressure off him and not expect him to have to go out and win games by himself. And so that's why I was disappointed in that trade. Other than that, I have no real issue with, with anything that they're doing here. You knew that this that, again it was it was it was reload or rebuild. It was never add one or two pieces. You know, reload meant that there were quite a few positions to address and we knew that. So no, didn't expect them to turn it around in one year. But you know, I guess the question is how good do we feel that they've added any foundational pieces, that they've accomplished anything in free agency so far? that is going to help him develop Justin Fields. Uh, you know, to me, that's the big issue. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I, I think that number is probably zero in terms of, of guys that they had. I mean, maybe Patrick, but like he should help a little bit, I guess. So I, maybe one guy, I Sean. Well, yeah. And that's the thing, like with every single one of these guys, we're, we're, it's a, it's a maybe, you know, it's a wait and see and, and, we got to see what they do on the field. And so I, I don't know that you can confidently say that, that any of them are going to be until we, until we see what they actually look like, uh, you know, in a bears uniform. And you, you would just, I, I think a lot of bears fans wish that they could point to one guy and say, okay, that was our, that was our good big addition. Like, you know, this guy's going to be here the next couple of years and, and making a difference. And, and it's just unfortunate that, that they don't have that at this point. You know, guys, to me, it's not even so much that they need to have a splash signing. I wasn't thrilled with the Ogunjobi signing, to be honest with you. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it, but uh, I wasn't sure that it was the greatest way to go because that was where they spent some money. But let's go back to Lucas Patrick for a minute. Lucas Patrick, we don't know how much better than Sam Mustafer he's going to be. Sam Mustafer was not a disaster. He wasn't the problem with the offensive line. He's just a guy who's limited, you know, and, and Lucas Patrick, um, you know, has never been anything special. Now, he does apparently bring some of the character and attitude that Ryan Poles wants, and I understand that. But why not sign him and James Daniels? James Daniels is a better football player than Lucas Patrick. He doesn't apparently fit the style um, that, that, that you know Ryan Poles is looking for. But I don't know anybody who would argue that at least in his four years in the league, and by the way, five years younger than Lucas Patrick, um, that, he, that he's not a better offensive lineman right now, or at least has better tools. You know, And if you believe in Chris Morgan, your new offensive line coach, then that should matter. And so... That's the one, and, and according to my sources, they didn't even make Daniels an offer, you know, and, and so this is the, 
the, the strategic stuff that I'm trying to figure out as to, you know, where they're going with this and, 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 and why that would be. And again, there is no right or wrong because they haven't even, you know, gone in the weight room together yet, let alone gone on the practice field or played an exhibition game or a regular season game. Yeah. I feel much better about this offensive line. Um, if, if James Daniels was here and, and was sliding into a, a guard position with, with Patrick at center, um, but yeah, there was no indication from the Bears that they had any interest in bringing James Daniels back. I mean, if you, if you bring back James Daniels and sign Lucas Patrick and keep Mustafer as, as your your backup interior guy, you are really set inside. Now you lock Borum in at one of those tackle positions, and you at least find out if he's a left or a right tackle in the NFL. And I think he could be very good on the right side and maybe good on the left side. You know he can play guard, um, but without Daniels, now you're still they're still debating whether Borum's even a tackle or a guard. You know, because they don't have bodies. And so uh, I, I think they were very high on Ryan Bates. Obviously, you know, they're not the only ones. Buffalo matched the offer, so he's probably, you know, has the potential to be a pretty good football player. But that ship sailed. You know, that that's over now. I, I mean, you know, they, they could have, uh, just because he was a restricted free agent, they didn't have to match the tender offer. They could have given him a bigger contract with a poison pill in it, you know, if they, if they liked him that much. So they didn't like him that much. But uh, that's what we're trying to figure out with what these guys are doing. Uh, let's see here. You guys want to hit up a couple more questions but uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, we're already at the hour mark, but if we've got right. one or two quick ones, we can probably get that done. All right. I'm trying to figure out. Oh, um, and Jimmy K was asking about our I, – I, I was trying to figure out what he was saying here with at the end of it. Julio Jones, Odo, Beckham, our number one receivers is what he was trying to say. Do you guys have interest in either of those guys? Obviously, Odell Beckham is coming off the ACL tear in the Super Bowl. Well, he's coming off the second ACL tear. Yeah. Um, and And – I can't imagine, you know, it would even be available, <clears throat> excuse me, until probably mid-season or at least be as close to 100% as he's going to get this time. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't hate the idea, but I just don't see, you know, with the off-field questions there have been about him and, and you know, where you're at with redoing your roster. He's, he's probably not a good fit here. Um, I would be intrigued by Julio Jones uh, if I, you know, worked him out, knew how much he had left. He did have a few moments in Tennessee last year where he looked like Julio Jones. I think the concern there is that he wasn't completely healthy his last two seasons in Atlanta, and he wasn't healthy last year, and he's 33 years old. Um, now, if he brought the kind of presence that Jimmy Graham brought, you know, remember, everybody just, you know, hated that signing and it turned out as far as I'm concerned to be a pretty good signing. Um, and if, you know, if you now Julio Jones probably would want that kind of money, you know, and, and, and so uh, I, I, I'm not against it, uh, but I'd want more information, Sean, before I'd want to make a move like that. Yeah. I'm not against it either. I, I feel like that's the type of veteran that, that they need or that they should be looking for. It, it's probably, you know, comes down to that, that price point and, and whether they want to spend what, what they would have to spend to get a guy like that. And, and, you know, at some point he's probably going to miss a few games. He's missed games, uh, you know, a lot in recent years. And, and that's just comes with, comes with being 33 year old wide receiver or 34, whatever he is. Um, you know, he can certainly, I think he can still bring something to your offense, but you know, you can't expect him to be your number one receiver long-term. I don't think. I'm not sure how much Julio Jones has left that he can give you on the field. Um, and, and this really applies to him or uh, someone, uh, Arch Creep talking about, uh, Landry is a better per money. So, and this could be a Jarvis Landry true. What I would want is a veteran wide receiver who is able to very clearly communicate with a young quarterback to make that quarterback feel comfortable. One thing you see with young quarterback, and we definitely saw it with Justin Fields, with processing the field, but also trusting, as you hear him talk about NFL Open. It's a lot different in terms of trusting your timing with your receivers. And if someone like Julio Jones or Jarvis Landry is able to communicate with the QB, make them feel comfortable to get them leaning that way, you know, I think that would be worth your money, even if they don't give you uh, top production, really, when it comes to catches and yards. 
Kyle Jarvis Landry has been my first choice from the minute the Browns cut him, uh, in part because I know this young man a little bit. I've had a couple one-on-one interviews with him over the years, and he is absolutely a class act. I don't think he had missed a game until this season. I mean, he has been completely healthy, and he is a quarterback's best friend when it comes to, to third-down situations. Um, and he he's an, and, and he could be, even though he's similar size and style-wise uh, to Darnell Mooney, he could be a great ongoing mentor and tutor for him. Uh, and, and I think if you were to go sign Jarvis Landry and all you had to count on him to be is your number three, and then you use that second, that 39th pick and get the guy you hope is going to be your number one, at least now you've dramatically, you know, improved the options for Justin Fields. Cause right now there's no options, Sean. No, it's, it's pretty bare in that wide receiver room. And, and sure, maybe, maybe Pringle can, can become something, more than what he was in Kansas City but again it, you're just you're just hoping that a guy takes that next step and you don't know if he's going to uh, quickly here Donna again uh, Jarvis Landry equals slow as a turtle Jarvis Landry is slow as a turtle but what I want is and the reason Jarvis Landry is so good is Jarvis Landry is the type of receiver in the huddle will say to a quarterback hey if we see zone when we get to the line of scrimmage I'm going here you know that's what you want to see, uh, the communications you want with, with a young quarterback. Yeah, slow, slow as a turtle is obviously an extreme exaggeration, number one. And number two, I'll take a turtle that averages 80 catches and 1,000 yards a year. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, we, he, can nit, we can nitpick this thing to death. You know? <laughs> I mean, he could be slow as a turtle as long as he gets to the spot on the field that he has to be, which he tends to do a lot. Yeah, we're looking for upgrades. We talked about him as a potential number three, not as a number one. So maybe we grab one more, Kyle, and then we probably got to get out of here. I think, actually, let's go ahead and jump out of here. I think we got through the big ones. Okay. Well, guys, uh, again, thank you for being with us. Uh, Things do get a little quieter now, although we have begun our draft preview series. We've got the quarterbacks and the running backs up for you already. Uh, Sean has started to dig a little deeper on some of the the players at those positions that you may not know as well. They're coming every day now at shawlocal.com. So, uh, uh, or of course, in all of our great Shaw newspapers and the Daily Herald and their papers. And so, um, I'm sure as we move on over the next couple of weeks, we'll focus our podcast a little more on the draft, a little less on free agency, and I'm sure the Bears will be adding pieces here and there. So make sure you're with us every week. Again, 9.30 Chicago time live on Fridays if you want to join us, get your questions and thoughts and comments in. Uh, if you prefer just to hear it as a podcast, at least make sure you get to the App Store on your phone, uh, get to iTunes, get to shawlocal.com and download your subscription. We thank you all so much for being with us this morning and we'll talk to you again next week or sooner if there is breaking news uh in the meantime have a great weekend everybody